Off the ball. With 10-year-old Amber playing football back in Donegal, believe this moment. No, because she'd probably still be doing the community games. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Off the ball. This is News Talk. Now then, you're welcome along. Sunday's off the ball. We have uh, plenty going on. Lots of football today. For instance, five Premier League games across the afternoon. It is FAI Cup semi-final day, plus Drogheda Shamrock Rovers at five in the league. We will have live commentary of two of those Premier League games. First up, Manchester United-Newcastle, live from Old Trafford. Richie McCormack and Vinnie Perth calling the action. That game not on the uh, TV, by the way, but we have got you covered. And then half past four, liverpool Manchester City. It is fair to say it lacks some of the urgency and significance of recent league meetings but will be compelling nonetheless. Stephen Doyle, Damien Delaney calling the action half past four Liverpool against Manchester City. 53106 is the text number. We are at Off The Ball on Twitter. Very happy to see Anne-Marie Donlan here in the studio. Hello. Hi Joe. And Arthur O'Dea is with us as well. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Joe. We have been reviewing the Sunday papers. Just finished with Owen Redden, former Irish international, Wasps, Leinster player, and Brendan O'Brien of the Irish Examiner were in uh, with us. Uh, lots of good stuff in the papers today. Interesting uh, front page on the Sunday Times. We discussed this with the lads, but just to mention to uh, those of you listening on the radio as well, it catches the eye. Sunday Times front page. There's a picture of Harry Kane uh, celebrating his penalty after he dived yeah. shockingly yeah versus, he bought that yeah I mean there's buying it and there's diving <laughs> I don't mind someone buying the penalty this one was just an out and out dive so um, that's an aside so the headline which catches the eye is we look like a pub team FAI chairs board rant so this is Paul Rowan with the exclusive I didn't see this anywhere else in the papers I may be mistaken but I think it's an exclusive the uh, Football Association of Ireland uh, chairman that's Roy Barrett he has criticised his fellow board members for, quote unquote, barroom rancour aimed at the manager, Stephen Kenny. And he says it's going down badly with sponsors and the government. So this is what Paul Rowan calls an extraordinary letter to the board. And it was sent on October 1st, which was a couple of days after the win against Armenia, the 3-2 win. So uh, Barrett's email has been seen by the Sunday Times. And in effect, he... Uh, says he's uh, surprised at the number of leaks coming out of the association since he took the reins nearly three years ago. So uh, Paul Rohn's source pointed out that uh, there was a recent gathering of football journalists, some politicians and some senior FAI figures uh, were in attendance as well. Um, Senior members of the executive as well. We don't know who was there of the FAI board, but they were there. And obviously there was some mingling and there was some talking, presumably. So Barrett in his letter uh, writes that... He says, the Irish Independent today writes that influential FAI figures with reservations about Stephen Kenny are more strident in bar rooms than in boardrooms. He says, the Daily Mail reports there is growing FAI anxiety. He says, John Fallon in the Irish Examiner also alluded to the growing concerns on the board of the performance of the team and Stephen Kenny. So Roy Barrick goes on to say, this is getting tiresome and reflects poorly on the board. Will those members who believe it's okay to express opinions to journalists on Stephen Kenny's or any other FAI staff member's performance please desist from doing this? You're letting everybody else on the board down and it's just embarrassing at this point. We look like a pub team. That really is going to go down well with sponsors and government. Regards, Roy. (laughs) You've got to be polite at the end. It's pretty astonishing. 
And I'm sure it has uh, occurred to Roy Barrett as it has the rest of us. Where has this email ended up? Yeah, I w- yeah, I wonder about that. I mean, do you write a big, uh, extraordinary email about leaking to, <laughs> to a leaky board? It's a like, bit like that. Uh, what is it, the scorpion and the frog? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, I'm sure he presumed there was a chance this There's could a chance end up. This in the might end up but it's still, it, it, it speaks of a certain disharmony and dysfunction in the board, and to send an email like this is. Uh, quite something it is it's, it's something that he would go so far as to suggest that it's I mean he doesn't go so far as to say that it is impacting on them getting a sponsor or it has necessarily but the fact that it could yes. or would be um, problematic is, is quite something and it's it, I, I, yeah I, I, I kind of you know that kind of thing when you're looking at the situation I suppose in the UK at the minute and you sort of expect that say at that governmental level there that well they've all reached that point they also all be pretty competent witted people very and I suppose with something like this as well, they're like, but the FBI board, they must be pretty sharp, pretty together and, and know how this all works. And I just wonder as he walked into that situation and just found like, this is insane. We're killing ourselves here mm. because, I mean, it's it's pretty ruthless. Yeah. So um, I don't know what real reaction there'll be to any of this. We'll, we'll truck along, but it's it's certainly interesting. and catches the eye and I suspect the boardroom conversations now, this will come up at the next one. Can we please stop? If you're not happy with Stephen Kenny, can you just don't tell journalists at large? There is a bit of a point there to it, though, with the sponsorship thing. Like the worst thing for business is instability. Mm. And Arthur mentions the UK. We're seeing that on a massive scale over there. And it is worrying in terms of sponsorship. Like the men's team don't have a main sponsor. And where are they going in that regard in getting a sponsor? And in terms of the national side and if you consider it as a project we don't actually know where it's going or how long it's going to last so is a sponsor going to get on board that is worrying I'm sure it was always thus board members journalists talk Ireland's a small place people meet each other but it's it's quite interesting that Roy Barrett's had his fill of it and decided to send this letter and like I said the headline we look like a pub team (laughs) is uh, his line (laughs) you know let's bring a bit of professionalism to this like we're not just uh, it should be us against the rest not kind of talking uh, behind each other's backs here and I, I know nothing I mean I know nothing of him beyond what we've read Yeah, but he has been there now for quite a while three years you know and I kind of wonder is there a point where like you get a bit, little bit fed up with that like I don't know how much it doesn't strike me he's going to be a lifer you know that he's going to hold on to this position as long as he possibly can well uh, interestingly Paul Ronan in this piece says that the email has caused some antagonism uh, sources close to the board say they no longer want a nodding dog at the top of the association so they're uh, biting back at him no pun intended <laughs> such a mess all going well there it's such a mess yeah I don't know but like yeah. it's so like Oh, you're, like you can talk about best practice and it's funny from the paper review as well talking about stuff like with Pep Guardiola and high performance and just how these things are run but it's just it is so deeply embarrassing Like that's the first you know it's a, it's a great story but like that, yeah. that has to be the front page of the thing it's like good God it never stops It's not ideal so uh, Owen Redden and Brendan O'Brien like I said were on the paper review we discussed that story and much more besides it's waiting for you in all the usual places to podcast or YouTube or uh, Twitter as well Anne-Marie, let's uh, get the ball rolling on the news round. So I mentioned five games today in the Premier League, quite unusual. Yeah, five Premier League games today, Joe. And there's commentary of one of the two o'clocks here on the programme. Manchester United host Newcastle. Richie McCormack and Vinnie Perth will bring you that. And Richie's here with Team News.
Yeah, Marie and the teams are in for this game at Old Trafford. A couple of changes uh, for Manchester United. Three and all from that rather unimpressive 1-0 win over Ammonia Nicosia in midweek in the Europa League. But a 500th appearance for the club for David De Gea between the posts, the ever-present. Uh, one of the uh, one remaining players still hanging around from the last time Newcastle picked up a victory against Manchester United at Old Trafford. Just to bring you through that United team in full, it's De Gea in goal, a back four then of Diogo Dalot, Raphael Varane, who's in for the first time since that 6-3 pacing against Manchester City. He replaces Victor Lindelof and takes his place at the centre of the United defence alongside Lissandro Martinez. And then on the left side of defence, Luke Shaw comes in for Terrell Malassia. The midfield is unchanged with Casemiro again partnering his Brazilian teammate Fred. And in front of them, it's Anthony Bruno Fernandes. And in for Marcus Rashford comes Jaden Sancho, Eric Ten Hag, saying that Rashford is not feeling 100% fit and he is on the bench this afternoon. So Sancho starts on the left and up top keeping his place today is Cristiano Ronaldo for Newcastle buoyant of course after a couple of big big wins in the Premier League a 5-1 victory against Brentford last week so just one change for them this afternoon that's in midfield and sees Joe Linton come in for Joe Willock so the Newcastle team in full a 4-3-3 from them again this afternoon Nick Pope is between the sticks it's a back four of Kieran Trippier Fabian Scher Sven Botman and Dan Byrne over on the left hand side the impressive Bruno Gamarish anchors the midfield with Sean Longstaff and Joe Linton either side of him the front three is on changed with Callum Wilson up top and he is flanked by Jacob Murphy and Miguel Almiron. Kickoff at 2 o'clock. Newcastle haven't won at Old Trafford since 2013 when Johan Kabay scored the winner for a team managed by Alan Pardew for United. They haven't got a great record in the month of October. They haven't won a home Premier League game in the month of October since 2018 when they beat Everton by two goals to one. They're hoping of course to build on that league win over Everton last week. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. The Ronaldo news catches the eye for sure. Obviously, scored that goal at uh, Goodison and was pretty good when he came on, to be fair to him. So uh, that certainly catches the eye. And then Newcastle, Rich, I suppose the point to make is they're a year into this takeover. There's a degree of feel-good, nine goals in their last two games. Yeah, nine goals in their last two games. As I mentioned, that 5-1 against Brentford when they basically took every chance that fell their way uh, last week. They scored four against Fulham as well the week before. Uh, They haven't scored four in three successive games since 1961. And given the way the United's defence has operated at times this season, who's to say that won't happen again this afternoon? But this week is a real test of Newcastle's mettle because they've got two matches coming up against teams in the top six. They've got this one, of course, against Manchester United and then they've got a game against Spurs on the way as well next week away from home. So two of the top six on the way for them. So it's a real test to see if they actually can hang with those in and around them or if indeed they are in a false position at the moment. But they have settled really well so far this season under Eddie Howe. Took them a while to really click into gear but once they have, as I mentioned, those two West London teams falling by the way side uh, for the loss of nine goals uh, between the two of them and they have been performing brilliantly and he's been getting tunes out of the likes of Jacob Murphy and Miguel Almiron that perhaps have been there a while they're not among the 200 million that Eddie Howe has spent since the Saudis came on board uh, but they certainly have stepped up to the plate and tried to show that they are worthy contenders to try and be in and maintain their positions within a team that are climbing up the uh, Premier League table Eddie Howe saying in midweek that there's no ceiling for this club I know those comments went down well of course uh, with Jurgen Klopp but it is a case of they can literally go anywhere from this point onwards and a win today even though Eddie Howe says he doesn't believe in statement victories would certainly go a long way to saying that they do belong in this top six and who's to say they don't belong in the top four either Okay Rich thanks for the time being alongside Vinnie Perth kickoff is at two o'clock that game not on the telly so we've got you covered if you're looking for Manchester United against Newcastle other games at two Anne-Marie? 
Yeah, Southampton and West Ham is at St Mary's. Joe, Alan Lewis looks ahead to that. Well, you have to say the pressure is mounting on Ralph Hasenhutl. Four defeats in a row has seen his side drop into the bottom three. They haven't kept a clean sheet since April. I don't think it's too early to call this a must-win for the Southampton boss. In contrast, after a shaky start, David Moyes' West Ham have rediscovered their sea legs with back-to-back victories. Not only that, but Gianluca Scamacca seems to have settled in nicely as the man to lead the Hammers' attack. Still so early in the season but you feel this is a big game for the home side from St Mary's it's Southampton against West Ham United at, at the same time then Aston Villa and Chelsea is at Villa Park here's Frank Watson Chelsea boss Graham Potter once admitted that most of his close friends are Aston Villa fans so he won't mind being unpopular tonight if his fourth placed side continue the form which has seen them win their last three Premier League games. Meanwhile 16th placed Aston Villa themselves on an unbeaten four game run which includes a draw here against Manchester City last month will be seeking that bit of magic which might allow them to add penetration in the final third to their recently improved play lower down the pitch. Potter will surely again shuffle his pack to cope with a busy schedule. Steven Gerrard continues to search for a formula to create and take more genuine chances and he might be tempted to include Cameron Archer or Danny Ings up front. At Villa Park, it's Aston Villa versus Chelsea. So we heard there Ralph Hassel under uh, pressure, Southampton 18th, Leicester 19th, Brennan Rodgers under pressure and Nottingham Forest... Steve Cooper under pressure there at bottom. It was interesting last night after Leicester's nil-all draw with Crystal Palace. There were some half-hearted we want Rogers out chants from home supporters. There was a banner as well rolled, rolled out saying bored, time for action now. And then Rogers even in his post-match interview said, look, there'll be no hard feelings if <laughs> the inevitable <laughs> happens. So I, I think there is a man who just wants his payoff. Oh, and just, just let me out of here. Just let it end. Just I won't mind when you fire me. <laughs> basically, basically. He's, he's talking about the new owner, said he's a good guy. He inherited the football club in his early 30s after the tragic event. He's been brilliant in that time. He's given me and the football club as much support as he possibly could. And he's been rewarded for that. So, I mean, he was saying nice things and uh, there would be no... It would never change my feeling for him if he has to make a change. <laughs> It's just so it's getting pathetic. I mean, <laughs> don't anyone ever don't let me ask you to make the change, but if you have to make the change, there'll be no hard feelings. Because I think Rogers senses the writing is on the wall there for that team at the moment. They're joint bottom after ten games, so they played more games than other teams, like the likes of United and Chelsea have played eight. So they're on five points with Nottingham Forest after ten games. And he knows the longer he's associated with this sinking ship over the course of the season, the more it harms his future prospects. So I yeah. think he wants out. And it is mad. It's mad how close they came. Didn't they finish two seasons in a row, finish fifth, and pretty much on the last day yeah, didn't was, finish top four. Like There was one season they spent almost the entire season in the top four and then on the last day they slipped out of it. And they've had good days. I mean, the FA Cup was a real high point and yeah. on the whole it's been a good job. But between what, whatever's going on with him and uh, the lack of investment over the summertime they're just not in great shape so uh, we'll see if there's news on Brendan Rodgers today often these things happen 24 hours after a result like that so we mentioned Aston Villa Chelsea there Arsenal hoping to keep pace with Man City yes leaders Arsenal go to Leeds United that's the final 2 o'clock game and Peter Smith looks ahead to that 
24 points from nine Premier League games has proved Arsenal's best commencement to a campaign in 15 years. A win this afternoon would represent their finest ever top-flight start in club history. Leeds are without a win in five, although they have proved solid at home, where they're unbeaten in four and having conceded only twice. At Allen Road, it's Leeds United against Arsenal. And then the main game of the day is Liverpool and champions Manchester City. That's at Anfield from half past four. Stephen Doyle and Damien Delaney will be on commentary here on the programme for that one. City start the day second, just a point behind Arsenal. They're unbeaten in the league so far this season. These two did meet at the end of July. That was in the Community Shield, which Liverpool won 3-1. Well, it feels like a long time ago. It feels now like since a lifetime ago, yeah. Things being said after that game. Well, Liverpool look really poised here to go on and win the league. And is Erling Haaland out of sync with his Manchester City team? They can't seem to spot his runs, was what we were talking about on the Monday after that game. So it's worked out well for uh, one half of the equation. That's the football cross channel. Big day here at home. Yes, the lineup for the extra.ie FAI Cup final will be decided today. The Ryan McBride Brandywell hosts the first of this season's semi finals. Derry entertain Treaty United from two o'clock. Then at a quarter to five, Waterford and Shelburne meet in the other last four clash. That's at the RSC. There's one game in the Premier Division of the SSE Airtricity League this evening. Doubtful, though, that it'll have the drama of last. Last week, Drogheda host three in a row chasing Shamrock Rovers from five o'clock. Stephen Bradley's side can go eight points clear at the top of the table with a win in that one. In the Scottish Premiership, then Rangers currently lead Motherwell one goal to nil. That's with 62 minutes on the clock there. Should it stay like this, Celtic would once again have just a two point lead at the top of the table there. Munster got what they needed last night? Yes, a much needed win in the United Rugby Championship. They beat the Bulls 31-17 at Thomond Park. Gavin Coombs scored two tries with Jeremy Lockman and Thyke Byrne also going over the line to secure the bonus point victory. That was just their second win out of five games so far this season. It also came on the eve of the sixth anniversary of Axel Foley's death. Yeah, six years. I remember that day Unfortunately, very, very well. We were in here and getting ready to do a Munster racing game yeah. and then word came through and it was just hard to believe. And, and six years on, it's uh, it's really dreadful, I'm sure, for all concerned still in a very raw way. So um, on Munster, it's good they get a win because their fixture list over the next couple of weeks is tricky. They're in Dublin for Leinster and then they have Ulster coming to Tom and Parker in good shape and uh, suddenly Europe will be upon them. So they, they really couldn't have afforded a slip up yesterday and managed to get a bonus point win uh, it will save us having to do another Monday Night Rugby uh, what's, <laughs> oh, yeah, you what's wrong with Munster which <laughs> we'll is really uh, for all concerned it is yes it's uh, been a pretty poor start I mean I don't know what that like does that result was reflected in the performance or is there kind of still the same sort of concerns better better <laughs> yeah but Powerful. I think a uh, long season is still the general consensus I, I was kind of struck by the and I know Rory Connor was on last week talking about that likelihood that oh yeah there's a good chance they won't qualify for Europe mm. or for the Champions Cup anyway yeah. and, um, which is previously unthinkable but unthinkable the f- format change is such that it's yeah. a bad, bad time now for any Irish team to get off to such a bad start but do they have the comfort more so say than your equivalent premiership team in England or whatever it, because again because everything falls under that umbrella 
with Ireland? Like, are, are they kind of, is it more palatable that they'd be able to ride off a year? In so, in so much as you can in professional sport, like, but like, is this going to have any sort of ramifications? Like, would that have any ramifications? Like, if they weren't qualified for the Champions Cup? Well, financially, it wouldn't be good. And then, just in terms of the general excitement of going into yeah. a season for Munster to not be in the Champions Cup would be um, well, uh, just very demoralising, I think, for all concerned. Like, Munster support is slightly waning as well. Like, they're not selling out, Thomond. I think we were about 12,000 last night. Yeah. But they're not selling out Thomond like last season for Leinster games. Yeah, yeah. It will be interesting to see actually what attendance is at the stadium in the next uh, week or so. Look, it's difficult. I mean, team aren't going well. There is a cost of living crisis for people. It's expensive to go to these games and you've got to travel and you bring family. I mean, there's a whole host of factors there, to be fair. But uh, certainly if if the team were flying and there was Mm -hmm. a feel good factor, then you'd probably get more than the 11,000, I suppose. Like Leinster at 18,000 for the Sharks game last week, which is very good innings for a regular season game. And I think that's because there's a sense that when you show up, you're going to see tries and see a team going well. So that is part of the equation as well, for sure. The new Sexton will be there as well, I suppose. Yeah. Which is, I suppose, that becomes a more... You remember that last... It's like that last... Those last things that are documented in The Last Dance with uh, just the people well, coming when it's the well, last opportunity to see Jordan and stuff. And well, I definitely think, you know, O'Driscoll in his last year or two put a few bums on seats every time yeah. if he was playing. So I think that applies to Sexton now. Bernard Jackman is in the Sunday Independent today. We didn't get to it in our pay-per-view with Owen Redden and Brendan O'Brien, but uh, Bernard Jackman was saying one more year Sexton actually and it would be good. Can they wangle him for 2024? So already that conversation is starting. We'll I, see. I wonder what you, what, yeah, yeah, I wonder what would be driving him. Driving Sexton? Yeah, like I suppose the World Cup's been the, the carrot here. Like, I, I don't know what you want one more year of putting your body through it. Not to get into cliche here, but I, I think he's one of those hates to lose a game of cards types. I just yeah. think he's driven. The fear of what comes next as well, like when you lose that buzz. Well, there is that too, yeah. Um, so, county championships are progressing. We're at finale stages in most of them. Yeah, there's 15 county championships across the country today, so I won't read them all out. No offence intended to any county that I don't. Um, Some of the headline ones, though, Dublin's county final. The football is between Kilmacud Croaks, the Holders and Nafina going for their first title since 2001. That's arguably the pick of today's action. That throws in at Parnell Park at half past four. Black Rock and St Finbar's contest the Cork Senior Hurling final. That's at Porky Cui from four o'clock. The Kilkenny hurling final then is between Ballyhale Shamrocks and James Stevens. That gets underway at Nolan Park there. That's at half two. The subplot to that, obviously, Cody on the line with Stevens. And you might remember last year we had a brilliant final in Leitrim in their football. This year we'll see Mohill look to regain their title. They take on St Mary's Till Kiltoggart at Pork St. Mer- Sean McDiarmida at three o'clock. The uh, PGA Tour new season this is their fourth event of the new season. They're out in the Far East today. So we have a result. Yeah, American Keegan Bradley won the Zozo Championship in Japan earlier today. On the DP World Tour, meanwhile, Spain's Adrian Otegi holds a five-shot lead. That's at the Andalusia Masters. They're currently playing the final round there. Very good, Amory. Thanks for that. Thank you, Arthur. Thank you. We'll take a short break, and then we're building up to Manchester United against Newcastle next.